Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts. I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix any of the devices that help me to spend my time there. But I've been invited to a party. It's called a restart party, and this party might just help me to understand the technology that I use every day and all the time. A restart party is a pop-up community repair event where skilled volunteers help people diagnose and repair their broken electronics. They're organised by the Restart Project, who are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. So let's go now to a restart party. My name's Sue. Have you had trouble saying goodbye to gadgets no, or things no. you've owned in the past? No. Something, if it doesn't work, no, honestly, I'm not a gadget. I'm really t- not a gadget person at all. I hate gadgets. Right. If it doesn't work, then I'll just throw it or I, I won't use it. Right. I'm not, don't get attached to gadgets. Don't get attached to any gadget. of them. No, no, I hate gadgets. I was teaching some students about environment and rubbish and stuff like that and I remember setting this project and the students coming back creating more stuff very few of them had come back with anything more profound than the creation of more things and this led me to thinking about how our immediate response to a catastrophe or a problem like waste or like the environment is to create something else that's a new starting experience and I wanted to look into what closure experiences were. Last month's podcast was about our relationship with gadgets, how those relationships can be durable and how we can make them become more durable. This month we're looking at what happens when those gadgets and our relationships with those gadgets come to an end. We're talking about how closure or lack of closure can affect how we treat the things that we buy and the things that we own. And like a slightly bumpy breakup, this episode is a bit fragmented with plenty of unanswered questions and contradictory emotions within it. Hopefully, though, when we get to the end, we'll be ready to leave each other in a better place than how we found each other. Hi, I'm uh, Joe McLeod and I've been looking at closure experiences. I've come from working in the area of design and For many years I was doing that. I worked in education, teaching design and in services, working with companies like Orange, for example. I met Joe at the Welcome Centre in Euston, which had a little bit more background sound than I'd been anticipating. When I met him, he was right in the middle of researching and thinking about how we say goodbye to products, services and data, and how those goodbyes affect us and affect the world around us are we getting closure and what does closure look like a closure experience is the satisfactory conclusion that should be just and conclusive but it also shouldn't have any lingering negative consequences so if you think about many of the things that we've done in the past in the environment there is a lot of negative consequences to that you could also argue that the, some of the services that we've created in the past have negative consequences and you see that in the mis-selling of ppi in the financial services industry or the problems with privacy in digital meanwhile back at the restart party in abbey community center in kilburn i'm still trying to find out if sue really does have no emotional investment whatsoever 
in her gadgets. So that's, I mean, that's electronic gadgets, but what about, like, you know, like, what about, uh, like, washing machines or blenders no, or... I don't like blenders. Washing machines, no, I've never had a problem. I'm, I'm really glad to have a new washing machine. Like, if an old one doesn't work, once it doesn't, once they've said, well, it's not worth repairing, I'll just get a new one. Right, so there's nothing that, you know, you don't feel like... Yeah, I guess, like, I guess, what, vacuum cleaners? I mean, when I'm saying all these things, I can't imagine myself being particularly attached to them. No, to me, if it doesn't work, then just throw it, because it's going to... I've got a small flat, and it just takes up room. So I would never be a hoarder. Right. Once something doesn't work, it goes, definitely. Right, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. You, you've, your gadget today that didn't get didn't get mended. Is, have you lost anything through that? Were you, would you, were you, was it something you were using and then it broke, or is no, it? No, because I couldn't flip him. I mean, excuse me, wouldn't have work it in the first place. I mean, I'm, I'm really technophobic. I couldn't really work it in the first place. I've never been able to work it very well. So you haven't lost anything? In no, because I don't hardly use it. It's a point. It's pointless me having it actually. Fair enough. Because I can't work it. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I mean, that, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, understandable. When we go back in, in time, and you think if we go back a few hundred years, our relationship with closure and endings and have a responsibility around our waste was closer to us. So if you think about the cottage industries of the, the 14th century, for example... People would create things in their house. They would have a wholesome relationship with waste. They would have chickens and pigs and stuff and that they'd use their food waste on. And the visibility of that waste was very immediate. As we progress through the Industrial Revolution, that's been removed, firstly, from our work, where we worked on the land and in our houses, then moving in the Industrial Revolution to working in a factory. Your responsibility becomes less as you get an authority over you and your responsibility was removed now that also happened in our experiences with consumption so as we put in place more mechanisms of waste waste becomes more distant and for example now with electronics the componentry in electronics and the sophistication of those devices are so complicated we almost get in a state of shock to try and understand how we break that down to the point where we don't really know what to do with those things and I think this is where Restart's a vital champion in this area that it allows people to start fiddling with their devices to try and keep them alive but also it starts to make people understand what the componentry is in those devices that we can then have personal confidence in breaking those apart or recycling them in some better way and what did you bring today to the restart um, i bought an iphone and uh, and you've you've tried to get it fixed and that's it right hasn't, hasn't no worked. she's spent a, she's had a really good try though she spent a long time trying to fix it for me and do, do you now know what the problem is no, I no. don't. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't. That's sometimes the way it goes. What makes you want to hold on to a gadget? What makes you not want to throw it away? Because I paid £100 for it, and it was only about 18 months ago. And it's, I'm going to waste £100. But if I can't work it, then I, I totally accept that I can't work it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wasted £100. Right. £100. I mean, what, what gadgets have you had in your life that have lasted? I mean, TV's really old, and it's one of the older ones, and that's lasted really well. When, when things last, they sort of become part of your life, don't they? they become yeah, I mean, I've you... got one of the old-style TVs with the big back, not the flat-screen ones. Right. And I've had it ages, and it's got a really good picture. 
Right. So if I came in, came to you and said, I've got a widescreen TV for you right here, right now, would you take it? I'll, I'll be honest, I would, because <laughs> I prefer the widescreen. Right. But while it works, I, I'm retired, I haven't got a lot of money. While it works, I'm not going to replace it with the flat screen. But obviously, when it doesn't work, I will get a flat screen. Right. Healthy closure experiences to me is giving the individual a level of responsibility and a level of visibility and something which is actionable over the device that they've got. So, for example, a lot of products in our home are easily recyclable. A tin, for example, we know that what that's made of. We know the contents of it. We know how to break it down. We look on the back of lots of things and they tell us their constituent parts and how to recycle it. It's plastic, it's this, it's that. But if you look on the back of something which is an electronics product, it has very little indication of what to do with it. You might see the wheelie bin with a cross through it and there's two types of those there's the one which is the wheelie win with just a cross through it. it means it's got a battery and you shouldn't dispose of it that very same logo with a big black mark underneath it is the we directive logo and that's the european directive thing if you ask anyone about those two and if they know the difference between the two they'll be absolutely baffled so a good example of bad closure is on the back of all our electronics packaging and products it gives no indication of what to do you've got a logo there which says don't throw me in a bin that's not actionable it's uh, it's basically like having a button which says don't <laughs> when you see youngsters and they they're attached say they're attached to their iphones i'm the opposite i don't even like to be honest i don't like using it the only one that i like using is i've got a mobile a really really basic mobile and that's quite good i can work that Right. I mean, if that broke, would that be a sad thing for you? Well, I'd, I like a mobile, but it, I could just go out. It's one of the cheap ones. I think it was £10. Right. So that if I lose it, then it's not a big thing. I would just go out and buy a new £10 mobile. Right. That I can work. Right. I mean, it doesn't have photos or anything on it, so I no. guess you haven't lost anything like that. This one, that's why I, this one's got photos on it. And I want to try and keep the photos if I can, hopefully. But I can't find out where they are now. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Sometimes it's not the actual device, is it? It's 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 what's on it, though. That suddenly makes things more important, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Because if you haven't got a computer and you can't download stuff, what do you do? You have to go and... I I mean, to be honest, the last time I went away... I just gone got I want, got a disposal camera and I came back and I got them developed in two days and my friend every time she goes away she takes photos she can never download any of these photos she must have thousands of photos that she can't download. There's a number of different psychological sort of phenomena which look at closure and take issue with endings. For example, Peak End Rule by Daniel Kamen in 1990 he looked into people having quite an uncomfortable procedure. He talk to them about the pain that they were experiencing throughout that procedure and what that was like as they reflected upon it after the procedure. From that, he realised that people, regardless of length of uncomfortable experience, he found that people remember two points. One is a peak, whether a negative or a positive peak. You're enjoying it or you're not enjoying it. You remember P. 
peaks and the end. One thing which I think is interesting across all of these landscapes, so whether it be digital or physical or service landscape, what we tend to have in each of these landscapes is discussions around recycle, death, rebirth, etc, etc. Cradle to cradle, for example, at the moment is very current. People are talking about the rebirth of products and how we can make things break down in the biosphere, etc, etc. But that same thing goes on in services. We're not really dealing with the end of the life cycle. We haven't dealt with the end of the life cycle in physical products, and we see that with a littered landscape we have in the throwaway culture that we've encouraged in the past. We see the lack of endings in the service life cycle. So if you look at pensions, for example, we don't design pensions to have a coherent ending. We design pensions to sell them immediately. We don't design PPI to be delivered we design PPI to be sold. And in the digital landscape, we create a system and encourage a culture of sharing, and we have no idea how to turn that off. And you get the essence of that from the European directive around right to be forgotten. So right to be forgotten encourages digital service providers like Facebook, like Google, to have some way of ending our photos online ending anything that's said about us online but as facebook points out in their t's and c's it's very hard for facebook to have any control over any items that you've shared because the essence of the internet is it's infinitely shareable we've created a system in social media which encourages sharing without any off button we've done that service landscape digital landscape and physical landscape and that's why i don't think it's about a cradle to cradle approach i think it's about making coherent endings the cradle to cradle argument talks about materials and chemicals but for me each of these landscapes needs to create an interface for the individual to embrace a happy coherent and well-meaning ending and in the product landscape we create complicated products like computers in the service landscape we create complicated t's and c's that nobody understands and in the digital landscape we create complicated service agreements that are unoperable for users when visiting another restart party this time at kentish town community center i got talking to another person about how they relate to their things so what's your name isabel do you find it easy to to throw things away or or is that a complicated process for you i actually don't really throw stuff away i just put it under my bed and then i think one day i'll you know I don't know, recycle it or something. So I've got a lot of rubbish, that, um, like a broken I know, electric toothbrush, stuff that I just think it's such a waste to throw it away, but then there's not really a lot of places to recycle that kind of thing. So I don't, yeah, I'm a bit of a hoarder for broken electrical items. Yeah, it's difficult to throw stuff away because where's it going to go after? The physical landscape, I think, as we've been grappling with that in products and objects for many decades now and we've had we've matured our vocabulary around that so we have things like recycling as a word so we've been having that vocabulary discussion 
In services, we have a discussion around fines in the financial services, for example, where you've got banks that now are so familiar with fines and they accept them and put them in areas on their balance sheets because they know they're going to get fined about things. They've almost accepted poor endings as part of their culture. And in digital, we've got a culture that is now starting to understand the long-term side effects of endlessly sharing and never being able to turn it off. Ernest Becker wrote a book in 1973 called Denial of Death. In that book, he discussed and theorised around a thing that we we all have, a thing he called terror management theory. What that means is that we all have this inbuilt fear of death. And he said that Every aspect of our life is about creating something that will outlive us on this earth. Now, if you go into that, a lot of research has been done in hundreds of different research projects. One, one of which I like to example, CASA and Sheldon, and was done in 2000. Now, they got together 30-odd people, and they allowed half of that group to listen to jazz, and then the other half of that group to think about death. Now... Then they asked everyone about their relationship with money and their expectations of money and um, purchasing power and their lifestyle in five to ten years. All of the people which had been listening to jazz put fairly expected answers into all of these questions. The people who had been thinking about death, they had increasingly ambitious and more aggressive approach to what they thought they'd be earning, their spending power, and the types of houses and products they would be experiencing at that time, which was, I think, very interesting. Now, if we pull this back and sort of dig under the surface, if we're all in denial of our death experience and it puts us into shock and we want to consume our way through experiencing death, which is this is, in essence, what that research is telling us, then... We've all sort of been denying the end in the products, the services and the digital products that we've been creating. It's almost inherent in the way we consume. But the important thing is that we don't start to embrace that and start to only design for starting experiences and onboarding experiences because we've tripped up in that in the past. If we don't start dealing with closure experiences, I believe, in services, in products and in digital, then... I think we're going to come unstuck again in some of these new areas we're working with. Do you have an emotional attachment to to, to objects as well as kind of a practical attachment to them? Yeah, I think everyone does a little bit. You try not to, but yeah. um, Things that kind of are useful in your life as well, I think. You feel a loss when they're not there. (laughs) Right. I mean, have you ever had trouble saying goodbye to a gadget? Probably when I was younger, I had an um, electric car. That was quite sad when it decided to break. But apart from that, yeah, um, phones, I guess, because they've got all your um, photos on them. So when they break, uh, but luckily I've got um, a Fairphone. So they sent me an email about how to reset it and restart it and do, you know, um, fix it myself, which deleted a lot of stuff. But actually, it made me feel a bit more in control of, I don't know, I feel less worried now if it breaks. It's not a big deal. But yeah, like having, I think, mobile phones breaking. It's more memories. Yeah, if you don't have, you know, luckily I had an SD card. But yeah, if you don't have that kind of thing, you feel a bit of a loss. When she heard the audio for today's episode, Janet from the Restart Project was reminded of some comments that had been left on the Restart Project blog. 
we started this blog for the Restart Project in 2012 when we were first just working through our ideas and getting started. And I believe Ugo went and gave a talk uh, at a university and we got two really interesting comments on the first blog post ever that we wrote as the Restart Project. I believe they both come from Chinese students. They talk a lot about their feeling for gadgets and their inability to give them away. So I'll read from Xi Xi Zheng's comment on our blog in April 2012. In China, we have a saying. It means you cannot forget the past and you cannot find new things to substitute for it. I have one mobile phone I used for five years, a camera used for four years, a very big old computer used for more than 10 years. They are like a part of my life, especially the mobile. No matter where I go, it will always be with me. Now it's broken because the keyboard part cannot be pressed down easily. But I didn't throw it away. It's still in my drawer. It's a memory for me. Because maybe one day I will find my old mobile phone and open it. And there are lots of old pictures, friends' messages. And it will remind me of something that nothing else could at this time. Do you know of Kaya cars or Kaya cars? I think they're pronounced Kia. Anyway, they're from Korea. Now... A good few years ago, they introduced a seven-year warranty. Previous to that, cars had been sold on the basis of a quality assessment of materials and you'd get a two-year warranty, which is, in my model, a starting experience. You're basically getting sold on the quality of the materials and you get on board to sort of like, oh, great, I'll buy that car because it's high quality. Now, a lot of people would say um, how long their car would last and they're thinking, oh, I don't know, six, seven years... And so Kaya go, well, goes in there and they go, right, we're going to give you a seven-year warranty. A seven-year warranty, people find it hard to think beyond five years in terms of planning and any sort of financial stuff. So when you say seven-year warranty, people think, well, that's the end of the life of the car, isn't it? And why would you give me a seven-year warranty? So it goes beyond that starting experience into a level of responsibility of the car's lifespan, which allows people to start thinking of, like, well, when it starts to die, I can just take it back to Kaya and, or Kia or however you pronounce it which is a very different perception of a product than what we usually have which is buy my product it's very good see you later I'm going to sell another product and then they just endlessly sell products but what Kaya are doing is saying here's our product we believe it's a fantastic car for its whole life and we'll see you in seven years which is a brilliant relationship I think the next comment comes from Yingying Zhu, two days later. She says, Yes, think about all the time you spent with your cell phone every day. Sum it up. It could be even more time than you spend with a close friend. Nowadays, I think due to unstoppable social networks, electronics like cell phones and computers, they are the very basic tools for communications. So all the memory, the time when you use your phone is there. In fact, the tools are becoming a part of you, even though you may not be conscious of it. Especially you could feel lost and sad when you would break your phone accidentally. When it comes to me, I will try to fix the problem first. If not possible, I will keep it in some corner of my place. Let it be there so you could feel like you have access to checking it at any time you want. Maybe it's an old friend's contact. Maybe it's a warm, touching message from your friend which you left on it. It's all there, safe and sound. Once in a while, even hearing ringtones and reminding sound of the message might make you recall all kinds of memories. Indeed, it's a satisfaction because people tend to be at ease when they hear or see something familiar. It just gives you comfort. So I don't tend to break up with a friend 
that easily when it gives me some problems. I just try and fix it and continue the friendship. Another example is in price comparison sites. Now, a woman called Helen Rose Fuchs Abar in 1988 wrote a book about role exit. It's called Becoming an Ex. Now, Helen was a nun. She left the nunnery or the habit or whatever you call it. And uh, she then became a psychologist. And she looked into how people leave certain roles. So she looked into how people leave being a policeman, how people leave being an ex-convict, how people leave being a nun. And out of this, she understood that people start to get given little subtle cues about doubt. So they start to think about a doubt, something will highlight this doubt, and then they'll look into that doubt and reinforce that doubt. Now, what price comparison sites do is introduce doubt in your service relationships. They introduce a little bit of doubt by saying, your power company is charging you this. Now, you might get a better deal at this company, or here's some different prices that gives you a good impression of where you're at and if you're getting a good deal. They introduce doubt. And what's good about that is that once you introduce doubt, they end up having a very wholesome conversation with that individual and then they can push them on to a better provider. But the normal providers of utilities aren't having that conversation with consumers because they're in this denial that a lot of businesses are, which people don't leave, which is how businesses approach endings is... People don't leave, we just don't allow them to leave. Throughout this episode, there's an interesting tension in the way that I was thinking about closure when interviewing people at the restart parties and with the ideas about closure that Joe McLeod is exploring. I'm coming to closure from my previous understanding of the concept within the areas of processing trauma and loss. And that colours how I think about this concept. Whilst Joe, I would say, is often thinking in practical terms, considering solutions and improvements, he is seeking ways to understand how closure works in order to fix things. Whereas a lot of the work I'm doing personally around closure is about trying to find closure from experiences and things that can never truly be fixed. I'm afraid of the idea of losing things that I'm emotionally and practically attached to. I hope for some form of closure when and if I'm separated from them. But those aren't the only kinds of things that I own. There are plenty of things I have which I don't really connect with. And yet those things come to an end and I have to decide what to do with them when they do. At the beginning of this episode, we heard Joe define a closure experience as... The satisfactory conclusion that should be just and conclusive, but it also shouldn't have any lingering negative consequences. I've been talking about and asking about how things ending makes us feel, but I haven't really been thinking about what those things ending results in. In many ways, reflecting back on it now, I think that when we think about having closure experiences with our gadgets, our feelings are probably less important than what happens to those gadgets when we part with them. Do we recycle them? Do we mend them? Do we make them into something new? When I've been at restart parties recording 
people's experiences. Many of those experiences have been closure experiences. People take their objects to those parties in the hope that they will mend them, and the process of trying to mend them, if they don't succeed, is at least a kind of closure for them. They can understand why those objects don't work. And that will help them to make sense of what they might do in the future if they're entering into new relationships with objects. And also, they'll get some ideas about what to do with those dead items. Joe is still working on closure. What I'm working on at the moment is building up a a whole area of models and tools that people can use to design closure experiences. I'm working on a book at the moment to sort of flash out a lot more of this area and the subject matter around it and put a lot more background in place to see how it really pans out. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to do on my side at the moment, but it's a very exciting subject matter and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with people. So here we are at the end of today's episode. I hope that this ending is a satisfactory conclusion and that it doesn't leave any lingering negative consequences for you. If you do have unresolved issues, perhaps some of the previous episodes of the Restart Project podcast can help. And if an old episode doesn't give you closure, then listen out for future episodes. Restart Radio is both a podcast and a weekly show that goes out at 1.30 on Tuesdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. It's repeated on Thursdays at 11am. And you can find out more about The Restart Project at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between OptoNoise and Cassini Sound. Today's restart party is over, so it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody. 